What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back yet again with another great episode of Offside. Sitting down today with Greg Hetherington. Hey, Greg, how's it going today? Good, James. How about you? You know what? I cannot complain. The sun is finally shining again in Nova Scotia. It's melting up the snow that we got yesterday, so it's looking more and more like spring every moment. Whereabouts in Nova Scotia are you? Uh, right now, I'm sitting in Dartmouth, but I'm actually living in Coal Harbor. Okay, good. I visit out there uh, with friends, family, in Guysboro. Okay. Not Love a bad spot area. at all. Nova Scotia is beautiful. I would go to Nova Scotia. I could live in Nova Scotia. Everybody there is the friendliest in any part of our country. You know what? I actually uh, was born and raised in Newmarket, Ontario, uh, then moved to Toronto, and then from there moved here in 2003, and I've never looked back. Yeah, good good choice. Yeah, it's beautiful out there too. It is beautiful. There's a lot a uh, lot to take in, obviously Peggy's Cove and around the uh, the entire province. So, no good spot to be, but for yourself, I mean, uh just want to talk to you today obviously about your career, you know, where you got to where you are and of course a little sports talk and obviously COVID-19 as long as you're uh, ready for the ride. Yeah, bring it on. What do you got? <laughs> well, I'll start with you. Uh, How did you get to where you are and uh, what got you into I guess race Radio and talking for a living. Yeah, so I've got, um, I started young. Um, I mean, as a kid, I wanted to work in radio. I wanted to, actually, I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer. I would. I used to turn the TV volume down and then do the play-by-play into a little tape recorder. And I started doing that when I was 10, 11 years old. So it has been a lifelong dream for me to work in radio. Um, I started working part-time at a radio station when I was 19 while going to school at Fanshawe College out of London, and I worked at uh, CFCO Radio in Chatham. That was back in 1986, and I worked there part-time for a couple of years, doing the night shift, as all radio people kind of had to do back in the day. Um, Did that for a couple of years, then I started working full-time at a sister station across the street uh, called CKSY, and that was back in 1988, worked there for 20 years, and then about 10, 11 years ago, started my own radio station in Wallsburg, Ontario. We started that up 10 years ago um, and have not looked back ever since, and here I am now, uh, owner, operator, chief cook, bottle washer, garbage takeout guy, wash the windows, do a little sales, radio, you name it, it's kind of my job now. Absolute jack of all trades. <laughs> I, I am, and a master of none. <laughs> hey, listen, if you were a master of something, they'd want you to do it all the time. So if you leave a little bit of doubt in people's minds, then you're a little bit clear. So. <laughs> good advice, good advice, James. 
So for yourself, I mean, obviously there's a passion there. Was there someone you looked up to, aspired to, I mean, especially where you're doing play-by-play, maybe Foster Hewitt or someone like that, or is there someone else that comes to mind for you? Yeah, so the person I loved the most was growing up a kid, I loved wide world of sports. You know, that scene of the skier coming down the mountain and falling off and that tragic crash. Um, and with Wide World of Sports, I loved Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell, my brother and I would do impersonations of him all the time. You know, the typical, this is Howard Cosell, the most prolific <laughs> boxer of all time. Muhammad Ali, tell us your story. Like, he was just so unusual. So I loved Howard Cosell. Um, I watched a lot of baseball as a kid. So where we are, we're about one hour away from Detroit. So I grew up watching a lot of Detroit baseball. Um, and at that time, Al Kaline, who we just lost uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, was one of the color announcers for the Detroit Tigers and George Kell. And George Kell was a former Tiger. And I watched those guys and would emulate them all the time and try to kind of come up with their catchphrases. Um, I did that. Um, and then I listened to a lot of radio, obviously, because I loved radio. And baseball, again, Ernie Harwell was iconic when it came to baseball broadcasting for radio. So I listened to a lot of Ernie Harwell and his old catchphrases. So yeah, he stood there like the house by the side of the road and watched ball or strike three go by. Um, he had so many cool catchphrases. And then Vin Scully. I love Vin Scully. Um, you know, just a, a great voice, a guy that could do play-by-play by himself with no color commentator is just for a broadcaster incredible to think that you could do that. The, the work that goes into preparing to do a play-by-play with no color person along your side, that's, that's impossible to me. And I, I loved him. Um, yeah, those are a few of the guys that I looked up to. Hockey-wise, yeah, you know, Foster Hewitt's outstanding. Uh, Dave Hodge worked at CFCO in Chatham for a few years, so uh, loved what he used to do on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, yeah, those are some of the guys that come to mind for me. Well, definitely. Well, for you, if you had the chance to do play-by-play, even now, who would your team be for baseball? Would it be Detroit, Toronto, um, and then for hockey, I mean, who would you pick, obviously? Pick of the litter. You can pick any team you want. Who would you call for? Yeah, I would do. I would love to do the Tigers. That would be a dream come true to do play-by-play for the Detroit Tigers. Um, I actually applied for their public address job back a few years ago when that opened, and that job was, was open and did not get it because I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'd do to go to 81 baseball games every year and watch in that seat and just announce players as they came up. I thought that would be a dream come true. So to do play-by-play, the Detroit Tigers, that would be uh, great. Uh, I mean, we're so close here. So where I am, we're one hour away from Comerica Park. It's, I mean, I have season tickets for the Detroit Tigers because it's that close. Yep. And the same thing with uh, Detroit Red Wings. You know, going to Red Wings games is very easily done. Uh, that stadium is right across the street from Comerica. Um, but I would, you know, I think every boy's dream is to do play-by-play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, around here, it's a very unusual crowd in southern Ontario. Um, 33% of people are Red Wings fans. 
50% are Maple Leaf fans, and the other 10% are either Montreal Canadian, Ottawa Senator, Vancouver Canucks, or whom I'm missing, Winnipeg, Jets, Calgary Flames, Edmonton Oilers. I mean, that, that's kind of spread across, but the bulk of them are Maple Leaf fans, and to, to be the guy for the Maple Leafs, that's that's an iconic job. And, and I grew up watching the, the Leafs. I was, I was a fan of the Leafs. It's kind of between the Leafs and the Red Wings. Um, you know, back in the day when Daryl Sittler and Salming and McDonald were all part of those teams, and Tiger Williams, I loved him. Um, but the Red Wings were always on TV more yeah. where, where I am because we had so much influence of Detroit TV coming into our market. And I watched a lot of Red Wing games and then kind of got liking them more as, as I got older. And then Stevie Eiserman was drafted by the Red Wings, and, well, that was it. I, then I was a lifelong Red Wing fan. So I'm, I'm one of the outcasts for many of my friends who are Maple Leaf fans, and I, I cheer for a Detroit team. I wouldn't call it outcasts. I mean, you look at who the who's who have come through there, right? I mean, you go from Yeiserman, Lidstrom, you look at the coaches and Bowman, Babcock, obviously we, we had him, got rid of him. But, I mean, the who's who has been there. And the runs they went on, the battles with the Penguins, it's just you can be a fan of them. It's not a problem. And they're not a team that seems to have a lot of heat or hate from other teams' fan bases. They don't get under people's skin too much. I mean, if you're a Philly fan, everybody kind of gets a little grossed out by them. Montreal fan, same kind of thing. But you look at Detroit, I mean, even when they were winning, there wasn't a whole lot of complaining or griping about it. So not a bad team to cheer for in my books. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They've had some... They had class ownership, too. Mike Illich, yeah. I love that guy. A very good owner, was a player's owner, took care of the players very well. Uh, yeah, and I had a chance to see a few of those games between them and Pittsburgh in the uh, Stanley Cup Finals, and I, got, I never got a chance to see the Cup being won on the ice. I got to a few of the games, but never the Cup was hoisted, and that that's a dream come true. If I was to put a bucket list item to see the Stanley Cup be awarded to the team that you're cheering for. Uh, I mean, I'm, I know every Toronto Maple Leaf fan dreams <laughs> that, but they're social distancing themselves from the Stanley Cup. But, uh, yeah, that, that would be a dream, another dream event to go to. Well, I mean, right now we'll talk about Detroit just for a second. Even this season, it seems like they're obviously in a rebuilding kind of mode. For you as a fan, I know they have a lot of talented players down in the minors. You look at Rasmussen, you look at Zadina and other players down there. Um, would you like to see them up? Are you happy that you're down there for the team to get a better pick and you know finish lower in the standings? Or what is your take on that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I like the. I think you've got to commit to doing one or the other. You're either going to try to rebuild with your youth, or you have to use the free agent market and get to the playoffs. There's that in between area. It just takes you nowhere, right? So. I'm happy with the way that they're doing now. I mean, nobody is happier about hockey being stalled than Red Wing fans because our season was going nowhere. I feel bad for those teams that were in the run. But the way that they're doing now, yeah, I, I think that's the way to go. There is some young talent in that uh, farm system that I think they can utilize uh, down the road. But no sense doing it now. Just, I think... The way that they had their plan going, uh, the Detroit Tigers are doing the same thing. You know, they were in a, in a rebuild mode right now. I think you got to do it, right? You just have to at some point say, listen, our team isn't going to get any better. We can't do it this way. The, the only way to do it is to do a rebuild. Let's clean house. Let's get rid of some of the payroll and uh, let's rebuild the right way. Well, you touched on it just for a second there with the teams on the bubble. 
I'm wondering what your thoughts are there. A lot of people are saying that, hey, I want my team to have the shot to get in if we restart this season. You know, you look at a Minnesota, you look at the Islanders, you look at the Rangers, even a far cry for the Montreal Canadiens in the East. I'm wondering for you, do you think that every team, again, should have the opportunity to finish out their games to see where they seed or where they're trying to get this thing done? Do you think they should just cut and dry and say, if you're in, you're in, you're out, you're out, and sorry for the sour grapes and move on from there? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think they should play a couple of regular season games. And reason being, they'd be stupid not to because you would get the excitement back again. You know, I mean, teams that were on the bubble to make it like the Floridas, the New Yorks, the Montreals. Well, Montreal would be a close one. I guess that'd be hard for them to make it. But if you played a couple of games and you had four points on the line, those four points could mean a lot. So why not utilize that and get some excitement back knowing that some of those teams would have a chance to, to make it into the playoffs. But I, you know, I, I don't think they can play out the rest of the season. A couple of games, get it interesting, get into the playoffs as fast as you can. And, and I think even, you know, a three-game series in the playoffs, they might have to do depending on how much time they have, right? Well, that's true. I mean, they've already talked about shortening the next season. But for me, I look at it and you listen to guys like Elliot Freeman or Jeff Merrick or you go down the list of who's talking about it. And they all seem to be in love with this idea of a 24-team playoff play-in tournament kind of thing. And for me, I just see, A, you're adding needless amount of people to a situation like COVID-19, especially if you played a neutral site. You're bringing in more people, more staff. You need more people to take care of those guys when they're in that area. I think the smaller you can make this and the quicker you can get it done, the better focus on for next season, but the less people will be impacted and the more time and space you can give for this COVID-19 to kind of flatten and go down. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that that is the safer way to go about it. Um, I, I think they're just trying to bring in more teams into the mix to try to get the excitement back. But I think they can get some excitement with just a couple of games regular season and and then get to the playoffs. Uh, I don't know. It, to me right now, it just doesn't seem like hockey is ever going to get a chance to play in the playoffs. No. No, it, it's, I don't know, it seems like a battle, but I mean, you look at the NBA players, and the league was looking at opening up arenas for players to do workouts in places where it would be prohibited to do, or uh, allowed to do so, sorry. <clears throat> and for whatever reason, the players and the teams are pushing back on that, saying, hey, we don't really want to do that. We don't think it's safe. Um, so, I mean, even if the NBA or the uh, NHL or the MLB says, hey, players can go and train, it doesn't seem like players have much of an appetite to do so anyways. Yeah. Um, I think they right now, they don't know what's going to happen next. I think everything is so up in the air. They're not sure what the right move is. I mean, sure, they want to, they want to play basketball. I, I think a lot of players are really disenchanted with not playing in front of fans. I think that there is uh, a lot of pride when it comes to athletes that they love performing. And performing to them is playing their sport in front of loud, live crowds. And I think a lot of them are just not interested in playing to empty stadiums. That's, that's not what they're in it for. They thrive on that sound, on that, that momentum. I mean, games are won or lost by, by that sixth man. The crowd is just a part of sports. I think a lot of them really don't want to see the season go unless fans are there to cheer them on. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at LeBron James, he already came out and said that he wouldn't play to an empty building, yeah. right? 
And he, right. he came out and said flat out, I'm not doing it. I just won't. And, you know, obviously, if he's adding his name to that, then there's other players that would be like, hey, if LeBron can say it, well, then I'm going to say it too because I want to follow suit. But I had the idea, and I've been saying it to many people, I mean, maybe each of these leagues do something like a virtual ticket where a fan can purchase a ticket and be added into whatever audio feed there is just to weed out anybody who would be inappropriate or doing silly things. You actually purchase this ticket, you get in, and it fills the arena, sort of speak, and they pipe it in so when a big hit happens or a goal is scored, you know, you still get the fan cheering. You just don't get the actual visual of it, I guess. Right. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. We just talked about that today on air. We are talking about them feeding in sounds for players to perform too that I think at least that would help a little bit for players or just us watching at home to make it sound different because I don't know if you remember it was I think today it was this date in history five years ago that the Baltimore Orioles played a game at home with no fans remember that game I don't remember that game so Baltimore had all that unrest that was happening in the city and they were scared to have a baseball game with fans, thinking that there would be rioting. So they decided to play the game with no fans. And that sound of that game, if you get a chance to watch it, you'll get a little sample of how eerie that sounded for a sporting event with no fans. And the players were saying that we could hear other players talking in the dugout it, because it was so quiet. They could hear the play-by-play guy in the booth doing their play-by-play while the game was going on because it was so quiet. Um, I just, I just, it doesn't feel like sports when if there's not fans there. I know we're all dying to get it on TV and we want something to cheer for, but I don't know. It's going to be such a strange occurrence if and when it happens. Well, for me, I'm, I'm a huge uh, UFC fan and I, I dabble in a little bit of wrestling watching. So I watched WrestleMania with no fans, completely and utterly weird, especially because the wrestlers are so, you know, in tune with the crowd usually that they still go through the motions of moving the crowd out of the way when they do their moves and stuff. And it's funny to watch because it's just so ingrained in them. But then watching the UFC and, you know, it's it's all dark around the octagon and you don't hear anything there's no sound there's no all you hear is the the absolute kicks and punches and you can hear everything the coaches are saying so i mean really again you look this um on may 9th the ufc is doing their huge pay-per-view ufc 249 two title fights huge stack card everybody's excited about it but it's going to be the same thing so you're going to be able to watch the fights but it's going to be playing to an empty arena and i look at it with the UFC, it's kind of a travel kind of sport like the NHL or the MLB or the NFL. So I think those leagues will be watching with a vested interest to see what happens, how they do the testing, what comes of it, does anybody test positive after the event. You know, I think it's going to be a huge test balloon for these other leagues to check out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's no doubt they'll be watching that to analyze everything about it and see if it's going to work. I mean, it, it comes down to money, right? They're, the only reason these teams want to come back is players need to get paid, owners need the money, they want the revenue from the TV rights or radio, whatever it may be, and it's it's money. I mean, well, I think they just announced today that the CFL is looking for, for help from the government because they're scared they're going to go bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you do? you got to play to fans. Fans are obviously driving the dollars. If you're not on TV, you're not getting ad revenue. So, I mean, it's huge, huge, huge business, and that's why I think that institution of a, a virtual ticket would be something that you can put in 
to obviously generate revenue and maybe you get a little something extra. You maybe yeah. something comes in the mail or whatever, but you know, there has to be some sort of way to involve fans. But the other hand, I said this to another guy the other day, you look at this and you have say the Toronto Maple Leafs come back. What do they do outside of uh, Maple Leaf uh, the Scotiabank Center? They have that big Maple Leaf Square and they do yeah. the, you know, the big broadcast and everybody's out there and how many people does that drive in? Are you going to have a bunch of people, you know, not listening to the social distancing and heading down there to cheer and party anyways? You know, you can listen to a game on a phone or you can broadcast it anyway. I know they won't be broadcasting it, but will people still congregate? And that's another problem that would be faced. Right. I, I, it's going to be a massive problem to stop people from wanting to get together. But I, what's going to happen next? I mean, where, when do they finally start loosening the reins a little bit on Canadians that they can actually get out in groups of more than five, right? Is, is that going to happen anytime soon? I, well, you look at uh, Quebec right now. I mean, Quebec was one of the hardest hit provinces, and they're about to open their schools for the younger ones. Um, you know, I think it's May fifteenth or May tenth, and you know, you're you're wondering why they're doing that. Um, you know, and they say, well, because the the younger ones are the demographic that's not really affected by this. But you look at it. Um, there still has to be teachers, there still has to be custodians, there still has to be, you know, care workers, principals, um, secretaries, everybody has to be there to teach the children. So, I mean, I, I don't understand what that is going to be, but that's another, and I don't mean to say it like this, but it's another test balloon to see, okay, we've opened this up and what happens. Yeah, I think we're all going to see another spike two months from now once we do get things back open again. I know everybody wants to see things get back open economically our country is, is certainly struggling and we are a country that evolves around our economy and i think many of those small businesses me being one of them uh, wants to get things back to normal and i mean the government's doing the best that they can i think in subsidizing uh where they can but nonetheless uh, we've got to get back to some normalcy and you're starting to see a little bit of that revolt that's happening across the country now where groups are getting together and protesting and saying we need to we need to open things up again. Where where are we with this? And how many people is it affecting? And what have we learned from it? And a lot of our hospitals are empty now, and I think people are struggling with that, thinking that, okay, we've done, we've beaten the curve. Now it's time to get back into the normal. You talk to healthcare workers, and they're saying, no, it's not time yet. I'm just glad, James, that I don't have to make that call. Yes. That I'm just kind of waiting on someone to tell me, okay, this is where we are. I'm leaving it to science, I'm leaving it to doctors, and leaving it to the educated to let them make a, what I hope is an educated decision, and and I'll follow suit and go where they can. But yeah, I'm I'm like everyone else. I want sports back. I want things back to normal. I want to see my friends again. I'd like to hug somebody. It's cool <laughs> to shake someone's hands again someday. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I think the dog's getting tired of me shaking paws, you know, every day I get home. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, you do things to, to try to keep your sanity intact. And, I mean, I look at what Doug Ford's saying in Ontario for you guys. And, you know, he's trying to roll out the phases, you know, how we're going to open this thing up. And, unfortunately, he said it has to do with the curb being flattened. And then yesterday I heard the cases went up. And, obviously, that was also followed by more deaths, unfortunately. You know, so... You look at the number going up and, and you don't want to open anything up. And you look at the states where they had Florida open. And Florida is obviously 
just a, a different kettle of fish, the way they're doing things. They had people lined up to go to the beach the same day that they opened it at 5 o'clock, and no one was adhering to social distancing, but it didn't seem like anybody cared. Um, but the way the states seem to be doing it, the numbers are going back up in those areas they've opened up. So um, to me, it's you got to pump the brakes, and you got to realize, hey, there's a reason why we're doing this, and it's going to work. It's going to make it better for the other side. Um, nobody wants to lose a loved one. And the problem that I have with some people is it doesn't seem like it affects them. So they want to be out protesting and saying things because they're not directly affected. They haven't had a loved one deal with it. They don't deliver like myself. I deliver for Praxair. So I deliver medical gas to the hospitals and that, and I get to see some of it. So, I mean, if it's not directly impacting you, sometimes you can be blind to the fact that there's actually an issue and it's more of a, hey, this isn't really happening, or hey, this isn't really, you know, what we need to do. We need to be back to normal because it's not affecting everyone. But if you kind of get to the ground zero of it all and see it, it affects you differently. Or if you have someone going through it or someone you know, it, it adds that different level to it. And I think some people haven't experienced that. Not that I want them to, but I think when you do experience it, it adds a whole different levity to the situation. 100% agree. I think you hit it right on the head. That's exactly the situation, the people that are protesting are out of work and are frustrated and I get their frustration but they're not seeing those healthcare workers on a regular basis that are scared to hell that they're they could get this thing and take it back to their home or get it themselves and get seriously ill or you're not seeing protesters that are 70 and 80 years of age saying we need to get this thing back open again because they're scared so it's yeah. it's those people that you're right aren't affected and want to get things back to normal we all do but it's just gotta run its course we got to get through this process and then do it the right way or else we're just going to go backwards well you know and speaking of getting through the process you're actually helping people get through the process by doing a few things yourself what are some of those things that you're doing in the community charitable efforts and just getting everyone together what are some of those things so we can put them out there so people can get involved themselves yeah, absolutely. So we, we immediately saw the need as a media, as a radio station, that the restaurants were affected right out of the gate, and they were hurt big time. Um, so we put together a free takeout guide that our restaurants utilize. We hear that nine times a day, promoting where people can go and, and get takeout and support those restaurants the best that we could. So we do that. We run a website that has all that information on there, too, to help small business. So that was, that was step one. Um, being informative, being the, the, the leader in the community to keep people up to date with what's going on, information I think is, is a big part of what we do. But obviously, charity is another part. Uh, we saw that people were hurting, so we reached out to a few of our sponsors. Uh, we gave out $3,500 last week, actually, to a winning person that uh, won their bills paid for the month of April. And then they got to go forward and pay $1,000 of their best friend's bills, too, so we can support one another that way. So those are a couple of the things that uh, that we do. Obviously, some fundraising that we've been a part of. My my daughter, uh, she's doing a grocery run for seniors. So she realized, looked at what the seniors were dealing with, obviously pretty scared on uh, going out into the grocery. So what they did, uh, what her and some of her friends did, they went out, took the orders for seniors, and then went out and got their, uh, their groceries. They do it free of charge. And then afterwards, seniors appreciated it so much, they started donating to the food bank. So she started gathering uh, some of these funds. Since that time that she started that three weeks ago, she's now raised over $6,000 for our food banks. 
because people want appreciate what she was doing and wanted to give to the food banks. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest gifts that we can give right now are our food banks. If we can support those because they got hit twice. One, less people are donating to the food banks because they're hurt financially in their own home. And then secondly, because people are unemployed, they're turning to food banks more than they ever would, and they need food to feed their family. So they've been hit extremely hard. So when I see those fundraisers that are going on for food banks, uh, that's that's a cool thing that's happening. And then uh, my wife and I, we, we decided we need to step up. I have hated James all my life, the movie The Notebook. I hate that movie. I've never watched that movie. I'd rather watch <laughs> Die Hard 4 for the eighth time than watch that movie. So I refuse to watch that movie all my life. So somebody found out about it and said, listen, if, if we could raise $1,000 for the food bank, since that's what you want us to give to, would you watch the movie? And, you know, how could I say no to that, right? Yep. So I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll watch it. Not only will I watch it, but I'll donate $500 to our healthcare workers and our COVID-19 fund that our hospital here, the chatham Kent Health Alliance, is raising money for. So sure enough, we raised, uh, I think it was $1,800 for our food banks. I had to sit down with a bag of popcorn and a bottle of wine and watch the notebook with some tissue beside me, which I never used, by the way, <laughs> never used, and watched the notebook and Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams. So that was one of the ways that my uh, wife and I gave gave back to charity with, uh, with the food bank. All right, so you hadn't watched all your life. So what is the absolute review from you? <laughs> Come on. I'm going to have to like, throw in my man card on this one. I would, uh, I don't know, maybe like six out of ten, maybe a five. So it wasn't so, a complete dud. Wasn't a disaster. No, two good Canadians in there. I guess that's the good thing. Ryan Gosling born in London, Ontario. Rachel McAdams is from St. Thomas, Ontario. So a couple of good Canadian kids there. So I can't throw them entirely underneath the bus, but I do realize by giving it a rating of six, I am throwing my man card back out into the wind. So uh, I gotta, I gotta fight for that back again. I gotta find a good, I gotta find a good guy flick to watch next. <laughs> Just load up the two Expendable movies with that old cast <laughs> of Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren and all those guys, and you'll be good. Yeah, yeah, you are right on that. We, uh, I had a chance to interview Doug Ford, our premier, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we asked him, "Hey, if you could play any song right now on the radio, what would you uh, pick?" And he picked the Rocky Eye of the Tiger as the song for Ontarians to uh, to play to. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd watch a good Rocky or Sylvester Stallone movie anytime. Yeah, it gets the blood pumping. Well, Greg, I want to thank you very much for, for taking the time today. It's awesome in these times, you know, get people together, talk to different people, and just have fun. I really appreciate everything you're doing for your community and everything you've done, especially sacrificing your man card for the notebook. That is huge. Um, I will make sure to get all the links from you to put them in our bio for this uh, episode here so people can make sure they get in and donate too, especially in the area. But, again, I want to thank you very much for taking your time today, sir. Hey, my uh, pleasure. Good talking to you, James. All my best to everyone in Nova Scotia. Hope you guys are staying safe. And, uh, hey, Ontarians are here to help. If we can ever do anything in my community for your community, please reach out to me. We'd be happy to assist. Likewise, sir. Well, have yourself a great day. You too. Thanks, James. All right, so as you heard, ladies and gentlemen, that is Greg Hetherington. He is the man behind the mic there in Chatham-Kent. Be sure to listen in to him and check out all the links that will be in the bio here and make sure you check out each and every episode of Offside Hockey Talk. Great community talk coming out of all the areas of this country. All right, guys, that's Offside for today. Take her easy. 